What's happening, Cardinal Nation? Welcome back to the Cardinal Call Podcast, a classroom podcast that has been designed to interview expert leaders and gain their insight, which will help take your leadership and your learning to the next level immediately. Let me start off like I usually do with a quote today. You don't lead by hitting people over the head. That's assault, not leadership. That quote was made by none other than Dwight D. Eisenhower, 34th president of the United States and five-star general during World War II. Ladies and gentlemen, trust me, you don't want to miss any of our amazing guests this month as we will be interviewing some of the top leaders in the community and the university who are dedicated to and passionate about what they do. These amazing guests are doing a phenomenal work as they have led or they are leading through service to our country. So be sure to listen to the Cardinal Call Podcast Military Appreciation Edition this month on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or Google Podcasts. And you got it. You can check us out every Friday at 10 a.m. on YouTube. I am Dr. C. Sean Owens, as you can see by my moniker below at the Professor Owens, where you can find me hanging out on all my social media sites. But what would today be without bringing in the one and the only my co-host, the incomparable, the one, Dr. Andrew McCart. Dr. McCart, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dr. Owens. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. I know uh, <clears throat> I know it's a co-host situation, but I, I know the man who really makes the magic happen here. And I, I feel like a guest just uh, just being here, saddling up in the booth with you. So I'm glad to be here. I'm happy for our guest. And we... Uh, don't want to let the cat out of the bag just yet, but we do have a faculty first Friday and this is one of our colleagues. That's yes. one of the great joys of this profession is the people that you get to work with. And uh, one such an individual has got a very interesting stories, a background, and really it just hard to find someone that cares more about our students than this individual. So uh, before I steal all your thunder, you better uh, hit mute my button and uh, take back over. No, no, you hit the nail on the head, man. I, I'm glad you even brought it up. This is, uh, you know, we're continuing with our, our Faculty First Fridays uh, where we do bring in a, a faculty member to uh, to enlighten you about what's going on great at the University of Louisville and uh, how they're doing their thing to change the world. But before we get into that and introduce our guest today, uh, let me go on and, and take care of some, some in-house things. So um, I want to let our listeners and viewers know that if you have some college and no degree, and feel like this is your time to fly and your time to soar. We hope that you will join us in the classroom this fall, whether it be virtually or on campus, to get a degree that gets you ahead. Right here at the University of Louisville, we have online bachelor's, master's, and certificate leadership programs in a wide range of industry uh, expertise from healthcare to education to human resources. To find out more about that information, you can check us out at uofl.me backslash podcast dash OLL. Again, you can check out all those online degrees and certificates at uofl.me backslash podcast dash OLL. So let's get down to the nitty gritty why we're all here today. I want to introduce our special guest to the classroom today. He is from the great state of Kentucky, Louisville to be exact. He is currently a professor within the OLL program. He has received every one of his collegiate degrees from the University of Louisville. So Cardinal Nation, not only is he one of our own, he is in the pact. He's a military veteran 
he's excited about training and talent development and you notice that if you check out his membership in atd which is the association for talent development both on the local and the national level ladies and gentlemen like fine wine this guest has gotten better with time and how do we know this all you have to do is ask any of his students that have ever had him as a professor so go get your pens your pencils your notepads your memo boards whatever it is you take notes with because i promise you the leadership and the learning nuggets you're going to take away today are going to be impactful and plentiful so ladies and gentlemen let me bring in our very special guest he's the one he's the only he's the venerable He's Mr. Roger Buskell. Mr. Roger Buskell, how are you doing? Oh, well, I'm, doing, I'm doing fantastic after that introduction. My gosh, well, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you inviting me to be on your podcast. That, that means a lot to me. Uh, as my students, uh, if you ever talk to them, they, they know that I have a lot to say about a lot of things. Uh, so, uh, and, and I, I really enjoy, I, you know, that's one thing about this program. It, it's more of a life calling for me. I don't have to work. I'm retired from General Electric. I'm doing this as a labor of love, and as long as I'm going to keep doing this till they kick me out. So, uh, so, I, I, but I really appreciate you uh, having me on the podcast, uh, just to maybe, hopefully, uh, uh, maybe inspire and influence a little bit. Oh, definitely. Listen, we knew from day one we had to get you on here. We just had to get through all the we had to get number one. We had to get the right timing down and then we had to kind of figure out with schedules and how those work. And then once we get through all that, then finally, we just hope people are still available to tell us yes. And luckily, you are still available to tell us yes. And I'm excited about uh, taking a deep dive into some things today. What about you, Dr. McCart? Well, of course, I'm very excited and Professor Buskill's uh, not just a, a guest, but a colleague, as you know, and I had the opportunity to sit with him for, I don't know how many hours we were over there at a career fair. Roger really got to know you well there. And so I'm I'm gonna include that in my research for today because that was one of the, the highlights of my, you know, often we don't get out of our four walls sometimes at the university and we got a chance to uh, go out into the real world and meet with real real people, which we actually do, I'm being facetious. We, we are uh, in touch with industry, but it was a fun time to sit with Roger for that afternoon or, or morning, whatever it was. I drank a lot of coffee, whatever time of day it was. So I was glad, glad to do that with you, but I'm glad to be here. And as part of the introduction, sometimes I, uh, if you don't mind, at the Professor Owens, I'll just want to share a something I found from Ray, my professor, about Professor Buzzkill. Now, Ray, my professor, is like the the equivalent of Yelp for people that teach. Um, and anybody with a keyboard and an axe to grind can say something. But I did find a rating on Professor Buskell that says just overall amazing, really cares and works with students for them to achieve success. So well, it wasn't a long evaluation there, but somebody took the time and cared enough to say that about you, Roger. And I, uh, I've heard very similar things. So we hope to... Uh, pull some of that wisdom out of you, find out uh, you know, with over 450 students on a continuing basis, there's no telling who that was, and I'm sure it wasn't the only one. So looking forward to learn a lot and uh, excited you could be here. Exactly. So, you know, here on the Cardinal Call podcast, we, we got to jump right in like we always do. And and typically I have a quote, but I don't really, really want to go off a quote today. I just want to jump in and, and, and figure out, uh, Roger, from your from your own standpoint, how do you define leadership? 
Well, I mentioned just briefly as a segue to answering this, inspire and influence. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the first part of my leadership stick, if you will, to inspire and influence people to do the right things right. We've always heard of effective and efficient. I would prefer to use the terms right thing right. Well, influencing people to do the right thing right is on a lot of different levels, from the CEO level to the person that works out in the shop or out in the office to inspire and influence others to do the right thing right. So it takes in all these different levels of doing the right thing right. And how do you, a lot of this is eliminating eliminating barriers to performance, which is mostly what we see. People don't usually know how to do their job, but through organizational change, sometimes barriers arrive. So doing that right thing right and inspiring and influencing others to do so, including yourself, is kind of my idea of leadership. Wow, love that definition. We've had, uh, you think- And I think you can quote me on that, I think. Yes, yes, I'm pretty sure we can. I, I, I've heard, I've, we, we've heard inspire, we've heard influence, uh, we've heard about doing the right thing, but the right thing, right? That's that's a unique term. That's a that's a that's a trademark. So uh, we haven't heard it yet. So you're the first. You're the first. You're the one. You're one of one. And that's amazing. I love that. Uh, do the right things right. Um, there's so much we can unpack just from that oh, statement sure. alone. Let's say unpacking that at all different levels of the organization and also even in your private life. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Dr. McCart, what do you got? What do you want to say or add? Well, I hope we don't dig too deep in private life because I, you know, the, co- the cobbler's kids have the worst shoes in town is what they say. So <laughs> if you want the other side of the story, we're going to have a significant others episode sometime. <laughs> to talk to my wife and see if I if I uh, walk the talk here but no that's uh you know Roger in the uh, research that I did before our show here I saw a phrase that that you said in an interview you were interviewed by the Association for Talent Development e-learning inside you were at their conference and um, a phrase that you said that I had not heard it rolled right off your tongue like it was familiar but you either innovate or you evaporate and uh, I, I never heard that before. That's a nice way to say that, kind of a catchy. We, we're all about catchy quotes and uh, mm-hmm. kind of terms here, and that, that helps a lot. Um, now, you can't quote me from that, but it is something that I took away from that conference. If you don't integrate, you will evaporate. And I want to talk a little bit more about that, the rate of change in organizations later. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we'll save for that. So I want to ask you, who do you think best exemplifies your definition of leadership? I probably thought about this more than I should have. <laughs> um, I'm a history buff. I, I go back to I know a lot about the Revolutionary War and prior, and really appreciate our founding fathers, George Washington, Jefferson, all of those people. But I've, uh, even in my lifetime, I've, I've appreciated uh, Gandhi and how he developed social change in India, toppling over Great Britain as their as the leadership. And then more recently, mostly in, in my formative years, was Dr. Martin Luther King and how he exhibited social change through peaceful protest. Those people have inspired me as being great leaders. I would probably have to stop there because the last 25 or 30 years, I wouldn't say that we've had very few good leaders in politics. We've had good influencers or major influencers, but not really strong leadership. Big difference there between an an influencer and a good leader. So the one that I selected, and I'll give you the reason why, was uh, Dr. Neely Bindabudi. And I'll give you the reason why. 
uh, I was on campus during summer because I'm on a 12-month contract. I was going wherever I was going from, I was walking. Well, I see this golf cart coming up and it stopped and this person was talking to a, looked to be a student, had a, had a young person that was driving her around. Well, it was Dr. Pintapudi. She hadn't been officially hired yet. She was on campus getting to know people. And she did that by man managing by wandering around. She was doing that right then. So I saw, then I just had to stop and observe a little bit. She stopped with the next student about 20 yards away. And then, and then she came up to me and stopped. And we had a, just a, a minute chat. I told her where I was and what I was doing. And it was just very refreshing to see her out in the campus community, getting to know people, people at that granular level. And that's what I really appreciated about her. And now these past year or so that she's been our president, she's really taken us through some rough times. Uh, even then I could tell that she was gonna give it an inclusive, inclusive environment with the university just because of the people that she wanted to touch. And she has not disappointed. So I would say Dr. Ben Dabuti was probably one of my current favorite leaders, if you will. Well, we appreciate that answer. As you know, we've had her on the podcast here and got an opportunity to, to learn from her and her leadership style. And um, it has been quite a year and a half, let's say. She's been here longer than that, but with uh, COVID-19, of course, which you mentioned, but also the acquisition of the Kentucky One and right. the, um, of those assets. And bringing those into the the fold of and creating U of L Health out of that. I mean, what a you know, 1.8 billion dollar operation to to fold in overall and um, to do it because it was the right thing to do, not because it was easy or because it was a flashy decision, but because where would those 5,500 employees go? Where would all the people receiving care in the city, especially our most vulnerable populations? And so I, I, don't, I could, I could go on about this. BS. We're also fans, right? So you're saying that she did the right thing, right, <laughs> by inspiring and influencing. She, she innovated, so she didn't evaporate. That's right. <laughs> I see a theme developing that I think we can go through this entire presentation. Uh, Almost oh, definitely. <laughs> um, so. Oh, go ahead. What, um, Roger, you had mentioned, um, you know, your military background, your GE background, um, and I'm sure there's more to the story than, than meets the eye. Um, so if you could, you, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, your leadership journey um, since um, um, you are uh, you're doing this as a labor of love. So tell us about your journey well, to get well, to your so labor we, of love. Yeah, we can say I'm an experienced adult. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my formative years was, uh, it started in the Army, but I really didn't start um, uh, nurturing that until uh, I was at, uh, at General Electric about mid-career. Mm -hmm. Back in the, uh, um, I guess, mid to late 80s, we had a huge influx of new technology in all of the factories in the United States. And if they didn't integrate, they would evaporate. Just tying it in again. Um, mm -hmm because it, and this stuff was right out of the space program we went from the straight assembly line for a very mechanical process to something that was very automated uh, electronic controls uh, robots uh, programmable controllers industrial computers if you will so we had a solid base of maintenance people that could fix stuff we just needed to use well the new term now is ups upskilling we had a large base of skills that we had, but we need to learn these new processes and techniques, equipment. So we started a skilled trades training program and the company managed that. 
uh, they quickly discovered that that was very, very expensive bringing in vendors to do this. So it took about a year process. So they actually worked with our union and turned the process of training our people over to the union through peer instruction. And that's when I got involved. I, I volunteered to be an instructor. And then when it come about for training coordinators and make, making this a park-wide effort, Appliance Park at GE and being a park-wide effort, I was a named training coordinator in, in our building and that was through the union. And then I was selected as the manager for the park-wide staff. We had about 1,600 skilled tradespeople at the time through 10 main manufacturing and support buildings. It was a huge, huge, huge process. And through our training manager, I'm getting my tie-in now, uh, he uh, he enrolled the, all of the training coordinators in the old, old training and degree program at GE. So that's where I kind of got my feet wet is in training and development. Then I decided, I kind of like this, so I finished the degree. Then I said, well, I kind of like this, so I got the master's degree. After the master's degree, I was eligible to take as an adjunct. So I, at 99, I, that started my journey on teaching as an adjunct faculty. All this goes back to some advice I got from, well, an observation I got from a uh, football coach that I coached with for about 20 years at the, at the local level here in Clarksville. I live in Clarksville, Indiana now. And he would relate things to the young boys that was much more than just football. Of course, we had fun playing football and doing and teaching them those skills and techniques and a concept of team, which I want to talk about later. But he really inspired and influenced them to be good leaders uh, mainly through the statement that his on his secret to life he said the secret to life is showing up if you don't show up you never have the chance to move on with your life and succeed you will not have a chance to success if you don't show up of course he was driving showing up to practice being punctual and doing the I'm not going to keep saying doing the right things right, but we really did instill those into those boys. And of course, to this day, they come to me and uh, talk to me as young men with families and they're they're approaching middle age now. <laughs> so anyway, I, I really remember that and kind of took that with me through my journey at GE. The secret to life is showing up. Mm -hmm. So did I not, I took a step forward and volunteered to be an instructor. I took a step forward to be a training coordinator. I took a step forward to be manager of this park-wide staff. I took the step forward to get my degrees, but I showed up in life. And not just me, people that are successful have to show up to do the right things and to be to even have a chance at success. So that, that fared me well through, through General Electric. Now, Comparing the uh, military and General Electric, the, at that time, I'll give you a little of my background. Uh, General Electric, as in most factories throughout the United States at that time, it was very militant. As a union person, you did everything you did, could to take care of yourself and your fellow union people. So in negotiations, you always ask for more than what you needed. The company would always ask for more than what they needed. And it wasn't until we started this, the, the actual teams at GE did we overcome that and try to get to yes, if you will, and, and try to agree on what's best to keep everyone employed and still make appliances. 
So that's kind of my background and that's how it got me started in teams also. So I've been able to develop myself through General Electric through taking advantages of opportunities that came my way by showing up. In fact, I have two children and I always told them, well, I always told them, uh, you need to keep yourself ready for life's opportunities because they're come, they're going to come along. If you have not made yourself ready for those opportunities, that's your fault. We're giving you as much of the resources as we possibly can to make yourself ready. And if you're not ready for that opportunity, that's your fault. We didn't say, well, I think I did say fault at the time. I was really getting on my son, who was very successful now, as a matter of fact. But anyway, yeah, so those kinds of basic concepts really followed me through throughout GE, showed up to do those right things. And then it kind of carried forward into volunteering for ATD, being a member of, AT at that time, Association American Society of Training and Development, now Association for Talent Development, and then become a volunteer leader and then become our chapter president there again making myself stepping up and then getting the opportunity to serve on a national board through atd so these i can't say that i planned any of that but in retrospect if i didn't um make myself available for those opportunities by showing up i wouldn't be here today at all gotcha yeah, it makes sense. I mean, we 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 have said probably probably since around episode two or three that one of the key things is uh, it's kind of evolved to show up and do the work. And right. um, you know, I, I I credit that from to Dr. McCart. He's the one that that kind of um, when we were piloting even the um, this process, that was one of his 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 top takeaways, one of his leadership lessons. So, um, speaking of that, Dr. McCart, what do you have to uh, to say about that? Well, that, that idea of showing up, doing the work, uh, kind of, and, and getting ready, and being mm -hmm. kind of having the, uh, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. I heard Will Smith say that one time, but uh, Roger mentions this, uh, being able to take advantage of opportunities, and we talk about the seven habits of highly effective people, and I believe it's in there that um, Abraham Lincoln's quoted as saying, if I had eight hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend the first seven hours sharpening my saw. <laughs> I hope I'm getting that right, but that's the idea there. Of sure, I think this continual education, whether you're uh, coming back to finish your degree in the OLL program, or whether you're um, Roger, you just mentioned your kind of your journey there, just continuing to get education and sharpen your soul, so to speak. And and this leads into my next question that I want to ask you about. And maybe we'll do this a little differently, but the a question the, the question is, what are three traits you think up and coming leaders need to have? But I want to do it a little differently by trying to guess them. So I've done some research on and I would guess three traits that you've demonstrated throughout your career. And you could tell me if we're close, if we're if we're not, if you would change something else and or come up with three on your own. But the three I would guess, you say uh, in your educational philosophy on eFolio Tech, uh, your portfolio, ePortfolio, um, yeah. you say, uh, I feel a student needs to own the learning and they'll be more apt to put it into practice. So own the learning, I would call that personal responsibility. Um, continual learning, I would say that's a great trait that you exhibit. I mean, you have a, a list of badges that's as, as wide as a country mile here. You just continually keep getting more education and then more technical, more in the weeds, uh, understanding and learning virtual project teams. 
and working in teams in a virtual environment. Those were three I came up with if I had to uh, guess your three, but, but what, what would you say are three traits that becoming leaders need to have? Well, I couldn't uh, repute this because you saw it on, on my educational site. But yeah, of course I would agree with that. Uh, it's more of the teaching philosophy, making a person responsible for their learning. Yes, you can um, instruct them on techniques and processes and explaining things, but the ultimate, as far as adults are concerned, the ultimate responsibility is on the person to take advantage of the of those of, of that wisdom, if you will, that's passed on. And doing that the most effective way is where the good instruction comes into play. But I would say also for future leaders, be a good communicator. Things fail when you don't communicate well, either up the chain or down the chain. And you're, we are usually somewhere in the middle as, as leaders, so very few of us get to that CEO level. Most of us start at a lower level in the organization and, and through whatever it means, kind of work ourselves up, whatever that organization is. So being able to communicate up and down the chain, making sure everybody has an understanding of what is the uh, what needs to be done and how are we going to get there. Uh, so so that's good communication. i got to refer to my notes real, real quick. Yeah. Oh, show your motivation. Now, motivation is not a cheerleader. Motivation is, is showing that servant leadership, showing that you're involved in the process and want people to do a good job. You show that you are doing a good job. You be that servant leader for them. And that's kind of, I'm, I think I'm jumping on, jumping on, on my uh, leadership style, but yeah, the uh, showing that servant leadership. And that's the motivation I think they could, uh, that they need showing that you're you're willing to walk that walk yeah yeah i think that's a good point there and that's uh you mentioned uh, some of our founding fathers or military history things like that there uh, i think that's a good lesson from those disciplines as well as far as military history and just that uh leading from the front and being the ones that are are willing to uh, do the things that they're asking others to do uh, I, th I think that's kind of right in line with what you're saying there, Rock. And then there's one other thing I forgot to mention. Be willing to adapt. Be willing to adapt quickly. Um, be agile in your in your way of, of work now uh, because uh, you're going to get left behind if you don't. Uh, the rate of change is just phenomenal now in organizations. Um, I teach a course in instructional strategies, more or less how to develop online learning. And the hardest part of that course is because we we show them techniques and how and, and different uh, processes they can actually get kind of for free online. But getting through there and getting through all the ones that work well, ones that don't work well, try to bring new things in because just because you have a tool available doesn't mean that you should use it. That's that's the wrong way of using technology. But there's, there's going to be tremendous amounts of change are going to be happening, especially technology-wise. We have no idea what really the future is going to lie. Even here at UofL, we know we're going to be continuing online learning. It's probably going to be even more so. Contractually, might be we might be obligated to have seated classes in some cases. But the future is going to be probably online learning, blended learning for sure, where we have a class once a week and then do the blended thing. Um, but yeah, be willing to adapt to change because it's going to happen in your organization. And the more you're willing to embrace that and, and uh, adapting to change is really hard 
because it's in our gene pool to resist change. Back when we were being uh, formed as humans, when change happened, people died. If the source of game dried up, you had to move. Well, that's so there was a negative connotation to change. If the source of water dried up, you had to go and live place where there was water. So that connotation to change and something very negative, people dying, is still in our gene pool. So whenever the next greatest thing comes along, we have to change, it's in our gene pool to resist that. Not because death is going to occur, but we relate that to bad things happening. And a lot of the times, that's the reason there are changes, bad things do happen because people will be outsourced. All of us, those kinds of things happen. Usually those there's some negative that's going to be going along with change. Be willing to accept that. Be willing to have kept yourself in a position where you're not going to be outsourced. So all of those things are in play now in the modern world of work. And it certainly was not like that when I started working uh, that long ago. Uh, you could get a job anywhere in Little. It was just there. You could work any factory. You could get to where you had work. And that, that person that stayed at one place for the 35 years, like I did at General Electric, that's unheard of now. That's not going to happen. You move around. You take your talents and have other people. You avail yourself at other organizations. Rarely do you stay with one organization. Now, you could move internally and, and, and move around that way, which is what I did actually at GE. But uh, staying at that place for that length of the time, you have to be willing to adapt. So that's really the biggest advice I would give. Communicate and be willing to adapt. And those things I said on my site. Right. Well, thanks for taking us through that. Yeah, I think those those are all great skills in that being flexible, uh, that comes up when we're talking to leadership professionals a lot, that idea of being flexible, and it is hard. Change is hard, we're wired not to like it. Um, uh, we get into our groove, but I think uh, successful people are comfortable, comfortable being uncomfortable, that idea of changing and reinventing themselves. So, well, Dr. Owens, please. Yeah, so Roger, you had mentioned um, a little, well, actually, um, Dr. McCart had mentioned um, from your uh, site about being a lifelong learner. Um, and you had mentioned a little bit how, you know, we are evolving. And so my question comes now from the learning aspect, transitioning off leadership and coming back into the to the learning fold, which is, I guess, uh, another a great area of your subject matter expertise. And how do you think that learning has changed or is changing in the world today? Yeah. Uh. I'll have to say good learning probably hasn't changed a lot. Okay. My best instructors knew when to take a pause and change the reflection on the topic. They took that break. But really, it all goes back to nature and nurture. When you were born, we have a capacity for our brain to learn. Very similar with every human being. It's the environment that you're brought up in as a child and as an adult is what really inhibits or promotes your growth in learning. It's hard to learn when you're hungry, cold. It's hard to do that. So the, the child that is brought up in a more conducive home environment is probably gonna have a better chance and opportunity to learn. 
versus not. Crosses all barriers and all SES backgrounds. You can have the richest person in the world if they weren't brought up in a in a nurturing environment. There, there's there's going to be issues with that person. So it all starts with nurture and nurture and nature. We have nature in our gene pool that we have a capacity. But then after that, it's nurturing. Uh, how, how well you're doing in school and elementary school goes. <clears throat> what is it? I forget what those uh, percentages are. Half what you learn, you learn before you go to school. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so those those synapses need to be developed before they get to school. Right. Uh, that kind of that's going to lead me into something else later when I talk about multimedia instructions and how we use our five senses and how that relates to babies and that's one of the the ways that I introduce that. But anyway, so now that also then takes it into the work environment. Are you in an environment that you're nurtured into learning? Are you in are you in an environment that is conducive to performance? So there again, that's still nature and nurture. Um, if you are uh, in, in an environment that uh, values performance, if you're in an environment that eliminates performances to uh, barriers to performance, you're going to be more apt to succeed. Uh, I did some cult consulting quite a, for a few years before I came full time at U of L, and that's one of the things that I would really stress is. Don't come to me and say that you've got a training problem because you probably don't. You probably have a barrier to performance. So whenever I start in, I'll have a contact person. I say, our first meeting, I need you and the most highest level of the person in the organization that you can get, and we need to have a talk. It's not going to be as much about training. It's going to be that level four of Kirkpatrick. How do you want your business model to change? How do you want that organization, the end result to change? And then we can kind of reverse engineer and go back to see what skill sets need to be improved. And if they need to be improved, one of the things I ask kind of jokingly is, do you think this person could do the job if you held a gun to their head now? really have to be careful there now of course but the answer is usually yes mm-hmm. well so what's wrong if they could do the job and can't or won't it's usually a barrier to performance now there are legitimate reasons to to uh, train of course the upskilling that we need where we need to go we have a baseline of knowledge but new software is introduced in a learning management system uh, 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 new techniques in, in technology. We had to learn those skills, but it's more of an upskilling. It's not a wholesale. So most of the time, it, it's 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 about working with employees um, at the at their at their level to give them the right tools to do the job. Yeah, that's interesting when you talk about environment because. Um... Before I came over to the academic affairs side, I was in student affairs and uh, the model I used, especially in residence life, was Aston's IEO model. Um, and his model, he says that uh, there's inputs, which is everything that a student has before they get to you. And then the E is the environment that you put them in. And then the O is the outcome that you're expecting. And right. like you said, everything hinged on that E, right? Everything hinged on that environment. Um, you bring what you bring to the table, whether you, you know, I, I mean, like you said, either it's developed or it's not. But, you know, and then I look at a little bit of like um, how Urban Meyer, um, his 
his philosophical approach to, or his psychological approach to developing a team. He says, once he inherits a team, everything is mine. The players are mine. The problems are mine. The good is mine. The bad is mine. What went right before I got here, what went wrong while I'm here, it's all on me. It's, it's, it's mine. And he says that he felt that a lot of coaches, they want, they're in a rush to bring in their players to get in their system. But in doing that, you negate what's in front of you right now and if you want to win today you can't worry about bringing in your right players or the right quarterback or the right defense or whoever you have to just say what i have now is mine this is the environment i'm taking over and how are we going to you know as you said how are we going to take the next step moving forward and if we can take that next step then eventually we'll get to where we want to go but we have what we have now and like you said you know how can we reverse engineer this to get where we want to go to get that outcome um, I thought that was very interesting that you were, were talking so much about environment. And I yeah, it, it, it really is. Once you get to be an adult, it's about environment after that. Mm-hmm. Make, making a, the workplace conducive to performance. Yeah. Then teaching people, getting, giving people the opportunity to upskill when they need it. Mm-hmm. Dr. McCart, what do you got? Well, you all are really talking about personal responsibility and that's uh responsibility is is tough that's something where it's like when i broke a lamp as a kid mom said who's responsible for this i, I didn't want any of that it's, it's like jumping out of the way of a train but uh, you're not gonna let me off the hook today doesn't sound like you all are both uh, you know you're, you're gonna own it and roger's saying look it's not a it's it's you can but you won't that's kind of the way i would sum up a little bit of what roger was saying as far as uh, developing people you know, often they can do it, but what's what's the other issue at play here? And uh, if I'm going to come there and talk to you, I want you and the next highest ranking person that you can find. <laughs> right. I mean, that's some, that's if you want results, that's how you do it. And I uh, uh, that made me say I, I, I actually turned down an opportunity because that person couldn't get anyone to come in. I later on got the god contract because they still needed to have some training done now my my, my uh, uh concentration was in uh training through video work so and they still needed some video work done so i eventually got the contract but they had to bring in somebody that could have was had enough influence in that organization to make this thing happen because it was going to cost not so money as far as my fees were concerned but what they needed to do to at that time what I saw eliminate barriers. I did have a couple of videos that I produced because it was an upskilling thing, but it was mostly, I did, we did it, we did a mini needs assessment there, a little environmental scan of the organization. And uh, he could see right away that uh, they weren't performing well because of some of the barriers that the, that was put in place in the organization. A lot of well, change had been made in the, uh, in, in, in the organizational structure itself, new people had come in from other places, and and there there were some problems there that they, they they needed to work out. And then I recommended a friend of mine to do some team development training. Not that I I could have done, couldn't I could have done it, but I knew that he was an expert at it. And they started uh, developing their teams. Then things started to slow down for them. Then things much much better things started to happen because they developed their people. I developed, I helped them to learn the technology. And the other part is they, he helped them develop the people through the team concept. Because most organizations, a lot of organizations, I should say, they say, yes, we're in teams. No, 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 they're, they're really not. Does the team have the uh, authority for salary control? Usually not. 
But if you really take it to the extreme, mm-hmm. a team could have that authority. Right. Well, and I think that's a great point too. To you know, is there someone higher up on the organizational chart that's even supports this? Because without that, as we all know, that without that buy-in at a higher level or that setting a tone at the top for a particular culture, um, it won't go anywhere anyway. And it'll be frustrating as a trainer and as a consultant. We'll kind of pushing that rock up the hill just for it to to roll back over you like poor Sisyphus and crack your bones and leave you laying there looking, wondering what next and, and to continue yeah, that process. Yeah, most of the issues I had weren't with that senior leadership, it was the middle managers. Because now they had the responsibility of putting this out in the shop. They had the responsibility of budgeting time to get people trained. And that's why where I came in, because I would develop the training videos uh, and they can view those, but they usually like to view those in a classroom environment where you had a subject matter expert. So it was a expert driven type of video. Um, remember the old, old training videos, uh, stop the tape and then let someone talk. It was kind of, kind of that effect, but I did it through, uh, through a, a little, little more sophisticated way. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, thank you for that. And and it's tough. Like, I, I don't want to sit here on a high horse and uh, the ivory tower of academia because middle management is tough and manufacturing or, you know, any of those retail, you name it, healthcare, those environments are fast paced and being kind of squeezed there in the middle, you get problems from both sides and don't always have the uh, <laughs> the, the budget, you get, get all the responsibility again, but not necessarily the decision-making authority to change it. So. Uh, well, well, Roger, let me move on to uh, the next question I have for you, and maybe um, you can help us understand some data points that and assessments that you've used or that you feel leaders should use to measure their success, because we we have more information at our hands, more data, but it's not necessarily intelligence that we have. It's, uh, you know, who can, who can connect the dots instead of collecting dots? Uh, and uh, what can you tell us about ways leaders should use data uh, to measure success and become more successful? Well, we have the big data in front of us. Usually it's free. We need to be able to um, investigate the big data to influence our decisions. Uh, I don't have a strong background in that, but the way I have used that in the past is more at a granular level. I'll give you an example of my uh, military uh, of, of, act, of teaching military at Fort Knox, and where I wish that I would have kept some statistics. Uh, one of the courses that I used to teach at Fort Knox was the um, uh, leadership course, and I was adjunct faculty. Well, the first time I'm teaching this course out there, I, uh, I finally realized on my drive out, I'm my target audience are senior NCOs getting ready to retire and I'm going to teach them leadership? So no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, so we had a nice little heart to heart that that first that first meeting and I explained to them we got some things we want to learn and I want you to be totally involved in the process of a, of the discussion and they were they were upfront with that. But here's where my kicker came in. Now, one of the first things they have to decide if they are more task oriented or relationship oriented. I fully expected the military to be mission first, task oriented. I was surprised when the highest majority of these senior NCO career people were relationship oriented whenever they took the instrument. 
Because I told him, be truthful with this. We want to be able to debrief and get some value out of it. I'd say 75% were relationship-oriented. And then I said, well, you need to explain this to me because I always knew that it was mission first. And of course, I was in a lot different era of the Army than they were. I was in Vietnam era. So it was a little bit different situation, of course. Right. But that was definitely mission first. And I said, well, how do, how do, you, how do you resolve this? And they said, well, a couple of them you know, related their, their, the fact that if you stay in the Army and as a career, as a leader, you need to understand that to get that task done the most effective way, the quickest way, the best way is through relationship building. You, you develop the relationship with your soldiers. You help them with their family situations. You, re, they, you get them to rely on your trust and that you're going to do the right thing with them. You're going to, everybody knows that the mission has to be accomplished, but you 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 do that by taking care of your of your soldiers. And I took that with me through GE. This is my tie into GE because <clears throat> what they mentioned was developing that trust with your leader, and you're going to be more apt to uh, do the right thing for that person and not the army. I took that to GE with me. Those that lesson, and with when I, whenever I would talk with uh, other people, and uh, especially when when I did the consulting route, just as a byproduct, I said whenever through like, you know, it was when I was helping develop teams. You're going to do the right thing with your leader because you trust them and they take care of you. If there's something comes up that you can ignore you're letting the company down. But if you develop that good relationship with your leader, you're letting that person down and you're more apt not to do that. So it's through that, it's like that through all organizations. You have to develop that trust and the people that you're a leadership of need to understand that you've got their back and they will know that right away if the first time that it happens that you don't through any individual. So the, uh, you get through through showing people that uh, and have developed that relationship with them. You're letting them down when something happens that you didn't do your job well. So it's easy to let the company down, if you will. It's a lot harder to let an individual down that has trust in you. So that, those are the kind. Those I didn't talk much about statistics and and that type of thing. But what I wish I would have done is the, over those few years that I taught that class, I wish I would have kept the stick because it was like that every class. They were all most of them were always relationship first, and I wish I would have kept those statistics just at that little micro level that says, listen, military survived through developing relationships. To get it done, to get that mission first done. Mm -hmm. Well, so and I think I don't have a lot of background in those data and using the valuable data, but of course it's there. But uh, that, that's my tie-in to wish I wish I would have done that through through those through those because I think I could have had some valuable um, statistics there had, had some contributions to them. Well, I consider that data. It's data of maybe more of a qualitative nature, but that's very... Yeah, and it's, it's anecdotal, sure. Uh, yeah, very, very valuable insights for leaders to know themselves and to know how they interact with a team. And there's organizations out there that they'll take an instrument like that, whether it's the DISC profile or Myers-Briggs or something, and 
they'll put the results on their cube or on their door so that when you walk up to approach them, you understand a little more about their relational habits. And uh, I, I think that is data. And I think that's great for leaders to know and great for uh, organizational development people to know within their organization to help their people uh, have more self-awareness. And that continually comes up on this podcast. So, Definitely. well, yeah, Dr. Owens. Yeah, so Roger, I want to get into uh, um, some classes that we we take, and so hope. I mean, I know we're we're we're, we're coming. We're we're not coming to an end, but we're we're cutting into the time here. But so I want to jump a little bit into um, you know one of the top one of the things that make our OLO program uh, unique, special, um, different, um, in, in a lot of spa- a lot of ways from all of our under our other undergraduate programs is that we offer prior learning assessment. So if you could just take a little time and tell um, our audience, tell our listeners, what is prior learning assessment or PLA? Um, I, I give information sessions. I usually give them face-to-face quite, quite often and now they're all online, of course. But uh, one of the points that I make right away is it's going to save you thousands of dollars. I have them get out their phone and multiply 500 times 48 and see what term, what value they come up with, whatever it is, 24,000 or so. That's the value right there. You can get up to 48 hours of college credit through prior training and prior learning. I've set the hook now, I've got their attention. Now, a prior learning assessment, it assesses your uh, prior training. What, what did I get it right? 24,000? Yeah, 24,000. 24,000. <laughs> okay. I actually remember that. You know, they, yeah. So you can get credit worthy, college credit worthy credit, if you will, or prior training that you've had in the workplace. You can also get college credit through prior experience, whether it's in the workplace or it could be, say you've had a leadership position in an organ in, in, in a in a major organization. Say you've been president of the PTA for a year. That's that can count uh, because you have spent a lot of your time and effort leading people. Then that, that's the key word. Anytime you can show that leadership, um, but you can get college credit for that. Now you got to prove it. And that's the hard part sometimes. But that particular class comes in two major uh, uh, tracks. The first one is a historical track of you. You develop a work history resume and then you write about it. So you think of all the places that you've worked in your life. And some of our students that have a little bit of experience with them have worked a lot of places. And they put that into a resume, but then they do an, a work autobiography on what they on the KSAs, knowledge, skills, and abilities of that job. And they do that through the fairly large, significant paper that they write, which is actually their hallmark assessment task, their final evaluation, if you will. But that sets the tone. That sets the baseline for what the how what how they can uh, uh, de- develop the uh, expertise in filling out the different forms and such that they will need to prove that they their workplace training and workplace experience is college credit worthy and that's the key uh, and there's a lot of different ways we can do that there's online sites like odet that, that will take a look at your job and let you know if what level it is so we require some type of uh, upper level credit lower level credit but all of this is doable and especially if you've worked a while 
because you have had these experiences. You have had this training. You have had many people come in with associate degrees. All of them come in with some type of college, but mainly with the associate degrees, sometimes the not every one of those courses in that associate degree or maybe trade school will transfer in to college credit UFL, but we can use that many times in the training a way of getting college credit and they could get college credit through prior education because they've already taken it and we can do the training route there so the two main methods is getting uh, college credit through the prior training that you've had and prior work that you've had a uh, little bit different ways of going about it but everyone that comes into our program has had I think what five years work experience uh, it, it used to be that you had to be 25 years old or older or maybe 26 because you needed the work experience but I call it the UPS effect we had so many students that had the years of experience they've worked at UPS five or six years worked into a leadership position on a line and had a couple of years leadership there but they weren't old enough to come in our program so we changed that, and right. I call it the UPS effect. I don't know if anybody else does. Um, so we took the age limit off, which was a viable way of administering this through the, the uh, uh, prior learning assessment uh, uh, experts nationally. But we changed that to uh, work experience. So you need at least five years work experience. So now you can be 24, 25 years old not be old enough on the old way of getting into a program but you've got that work experience that you can not only pull from your training because if you've worked into a line position training you've had a lot of training already and you've had some job experience through just through uh, advancing your in your career so many of our students come already come in with uh, uh they all come in with some college many with uh, uh two-year degrees and we take that, and this is where our advising really comes in. They put an educational plan together that says, this is everything that's gonna transfer in. This is what you have lead, that you need to be able to get through a prior learning assessment. And they know that they can get, they need to try to get 12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever that number happens to be, it's left to the instructor now to help guide them through all of this in order to get as much of that as they possibly can and legitimately to make sure that it is college credit worthy training and experience. So uh, many of our students get a lot of college credit through that realm. Most of them have a little experience on them. It's a little more difficult with younger people coming in, uh, but not impossible to get, to get quite a bit simply because they haven't worked long enough. Um, but whatever, I th I'm not sure, maybe, uh, Andrew, you might know the statistic, the uh, average amount is uh, 16 hours, something like that, that a student gets. I forget what that is. It's, it's significant. 24, yeah, closer to, oh, it's yeah, up. closer to half, and military students really get closer to the 48, and oh, yeah. with a strong culture of training get closer to that, that 48. Right. 
you know, a lot, you know it's, it's a lot easier for our military students to document their training and job experience because they already have it there. Their training is already related to college level credit. So it's a little bit easier put for them. But most of them really don't need the 48 hours. Some of them might need quite a bit of it. But let's say even with military, if they didn't count training for college level credit, we could go back on their work experience when it because they've had leadership in within that work and we could go that route with it so with it and that's the value of the, what the instructor does if i've got 25 students in a class that's 25 different histories that we right. work histories and work environment that uh, i i i say i our our fact we have some great faculty in our lead 300 class um some more of an expert than myself for sure but they uh they cultivate that and really work with each individual student so that they can get the most bang for their buck out of that 300 class. So it's all it's all about being able to document everything, and that's the difficult part sometimes. Got you, got you. Dr. McCart, what do you got? Well, I would like to ask a little bit about project management. I know we're we're getting a little uh, that the sands in the hourglass are passing through, and uh, but project management is something near and dear to me, and I know. Roger, you teach in it also, Dr. Owens, uh, very familiar with it as well as a practitioner too. And so they say anytime you're doing uh, something that has more than one step, that's a project. Uh, one, one step, that's not really a project. We start doing two steps or hundreds of steps. Of course, that's a project. So well, tell us a little bit about your, you teach a course in project management. Uh, we're revamping a new project management for the modern workplace. We're actually introduced, not just revamping, we're creating a whole new track for project management professionals right. to identify themselves really within the organizational leadership and learning degree. Um, just what can you tell us here about project management? What advice do you have? What uh, wise counsel, as my good friend, Dr. Owen says, uh, what can you tell us about it? I, I personally think that our students in the project management class get more out of this personally than they do professionally. Okay. If as, as adults, they've planned a party, they've planned a wedding, they've planned a major trip. And every single time you forgot something, oh man, I wish I would have remembered that. That's the value of project management. And if nothing else, the takeaway that I want them to get, because this is their hallmark assessment task, they're able to put together a project personal or it even could be work related where they don't miss anything don't miss a step but then the other side of that is being able to work within a team at work on a project like you said if it's more than one step it's a project now the what when we go through all of the major elements of project management from SWOT analysis to a business case to a stakeholder analysis risk assessment we go through all of that and they have to uh, contribute parts of that to their team project which is what they work on all semester so they learn the, the all of the elements of project management that are important for a huge organizational project and then they also learn uh, for a personal project maybe I don't need that involved a business case even though I do need something to that effect so being able to uh, discern just what they need for a personal project in their life but then going back to the organization uh, of course, they learned project management elements and how to put together a major project, not missing anything, put together a professional project with a project team. And in my opinion, 
they get as much out of of team development as they do project management because you cannot separate the two. Mm-hmm. What a team, what a project is, is working with other people. Very rarely do you plan a project at work by yourself. You might be the team leader, if you will, and you have other people helping you with that that are responsible for this and that different project elements. But you are working that as a project manager, if you will. So not only do you learn the uh, elements of a, a good project plan, but you learn how to work within the team environment. And I think that is the critical to any um, uh, program, a uh, pro- project success, uh, because you don't. If you if you have a dysfunctional team, it's all left up to the project manager to get everything done. It's just not going to happen on a, on, a, on a large project. You get burnout, just like as a. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to take a sip of this is this is coffee. <laughs> Losing my voice here in the afternoon, but yeah. So working as a functioning team member means you contribute to that team. And they are in the class, they are graded on their participation. And they do that right away. That second week, they have a, have a Qualtrics survey and they rate their team members. And that's part of that storming process. We, in fact, I, I tell them, I inform them, they're gonna, you're going to go through the Tuckman model. Now, the Tuckman model is that uh, storming, norming, uh, uh, forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. Mm-hmm. And what I encourage them after we start talking about that is, let's do a, a, a spot check here. Uh, where do you think you are with your team now? And it takes a couple of two or three weeks to get through that storming stage because they're having to learn how to use Microsoft Teams, which is the platform that we use. They're learning their place in the team. You're good, and I see emerging leaders because I don't, I don't have, I don't uh, assign a project manager, but you see the emerging leaders develop that will take that role on themselves. Um, oh, I could, I could talk about some other things that I've done in other parts of my life that shows how gangs of boys, do, uh, when they get together, hopefully through scouts or some or sports and not through traditional gangs that we've heard of, you will see those project leaders develop. It's just human nature. But anyway, you'll see those project leaders develop. And But the important part is to become a, a contributing member of the team, not letting the team down because they know that 30 points of their grade is on the success of that team. Most te- most students, when they hear they're going to be on a virtual team with a team grade, they just don't like it at all. Most of the time, they get over that when they go when they see the process that we go through. To do, every once in a while, I'll have to have a crucial conversation with a student. Listen, you're not doing what you need for the team. You've got a couple of options. I can take you out of the team, and you can write a 25-page essay on the value of virtual teams in society. And that usually changes their attitude right away. And I've only really had to follow through on that once. But and this person had more more issues than anything else. But and and that that and that's to get to knowing your students too. Right. Yeah, they get as much out of the team process and the process of team, the concept of team, as they do project management. You can learn the skills. There's uh, models you can go by. There, there's obviously the, the textbook. There's an explanation. There's videos. You can learn the elements of project management. But what you can't learn is an ex- until you experience that team concept, because that's what drives the success of the project. 
Well, thank you. That was a uh, really you summed up the whole semester class there. I think in just okay, a, you did, yeah. <laughs> few, few statements, or yeah, or a, a career, a long career in project management as well. So, thank you for taking us through that. And I think that uh, experience teaches wisdom, and the ability to participate in real life uh, projects and have the theoretical background that comes from scholarly study, I think, is a great combination there. So. Well, Dr. Owens, why don't I hand it over to you? The, uh, the floor is yours, and I hope uh, I've been looking forward to this rapid fire and fun stuff. I don't know if you are. Definitely, yes, yes. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, this is how we kind of end out with all of our guests, uh, Roger. We, we run them through rapid fire and one of our, our fun questions to to close out the uh, the segment. So uh, I hope you're ready for our rapid fire rapid fire is just a series of questions that i'm going to ask you probably about five and uh the first thing that comes to your head uh just go ahead and blurt it out and, and let us know where you go all right here we go right. round one <laughs> rapid fire question if you could pick one word that could describe your life so far what would it be and why family Ooh, nice family at different levels family my real family my family at work, my family in organizations, because the more sense of family you, you have in your life, I think the better off you're going to be. First of all, it's my immediate family, but then also that sense of family. And I think we have a strong sense of family in the OLL program. I have not met some of our new professors in person yet, but I do have a connection with all of you. And I think that, and we wouldn't have hired you if we didn't know that you weren't gonna have a, a good connection with our team. So that's, that's to your credit also. Uh, but yeah, so family would be my first word there. All right. Next one. I like that. That's the first one. We haven't had family used yet. I love that word. What are three non-negotiable characteristics that anyone on your team or tribe has to have? Oh, trust. Mm -hmm. Trust to do the right thing. Trust in me. Trust my trust in you and the trust with others. So I think trust plays a plays a big factor in in uh, what I would be looking for uh, in uh, my tribe, if you will. Um, willingness to help others, uh, that's servant leadership, if you will. Um, if you don't have that, I don't think you're gonna fit in very well with, with uh, what I would consider that family environment. Mm -hmm. and, and take responsibility for your actions, whatever that means could be at a lot of different levels. Uh, it's, it's easy to say, the only thing I have to do is my job. Well, no, that's not quite true. If you really want to have a good constructive work environment, it's easy just to do your job, put blinders on. Well, I don't want to be around people that just have blinders on. Okay. So we got trust, willingness to help others and responsibility for your actions. I like those. Round three. Great, but this may, this may be the best question out there, just to give you a heads up. What is your favorite dessert? Where do I start? <laughs> a lot. I can't have those now, but I do have my favorites. I would say my mother's pineapple upside down cake that she made in her iron skillet. I can mm. taste it in my mouth right now. I've had, my wife is a wonderful cook and she makes some great desserts but uh i would say that's the first 
she's not in the room. So that's the first one to mind. <laughs> Got it. Here we go. If you weren't a university professor, what would you be doing as a career? I can preface that by saying I'm doing exactly what I, what I want to do. And okay. if I wasn't doing this, I would just probably retire and, and just be involved in volunteer groups. But I'm going to point in my life that I, they say, if you uh, uh, like what you do, you never work a day in your life. Well, that's exactly where I am right now. So I would say this is what I what I want to finish my work career out with. But if I didn't do this, it would be being more involved with volunteer groups. Okay, sweet. No problem. So then here's the last rapid fire question. Going back over your life, if you could sit with your 13 year old self and prepare them for what was about to come, what would you tell 13 year old Roger? Uh, get out of your shell. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a shell for sure. Um, I'm a classic uh, INFP, you know, as an MBTI. And I actually had to teach this as a part of uh, a, 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 a series of seminars that I did with uh, Kathy Abdovich, who's still teaching in our program, and another professor, Dr. Pat Leitch, one summer, I developed their PowerPoints. And we went around the state in hospitals and taught seminars in communication and problem solving using the MBTI as the basis. Mm-hmm. So I had to find out what my MBTI was. So I lied. I could take those, I could take the instrument and come out any way I want because I was so in tune. Well, at GE, you were the classic ESTJ. You know, ex- extrovert, sensing, thinking, judging. And in fact, I was opposite. Well, the only way I could come to realize that was think how I was as a kid, as a youth, mm-hmm. especially even as before, pre- before school. I could play by myself. And I was perfectly happy with that. I would, and, I hardly ever spoke up. So to, the advice to give that three, 13 year old is get out of that shell as soon as you can and uh, start developing your non-preferred personalities. <laughs> I love it, I love it. So, you know, here's the last thing, the final thought that you can leave the world with, the, the, the college, your students, all those listeners out there that we have. So what was, what is, or what would be your wise counsel that if you could shout from the mountaintops for the rest of 2021 for professionals, students, learners, military, veterans, it doesn't matter. What would be your wise counsel that you shout from the mountaintop for the rest of 2021? Well, I could go back to our, what our, we finally developed as our theme, but I would, I would say if you need a degree, an undergraduate degree, if you know of someone that needs an undergraduate degree, send them our way. We're, we're the perfect place for you to get a degree in leadership training or, or even carve out your own track that you that, that is more conducive to your future. We've got it for you. Now, it's, I know it's a blatant plug for our program, but that's the advice that I would give. If you need that degree, if you know someone that needs an undergraduate degree, you send them our way. We've got a place for you and we've got a track for you that will develop your skills. Couldn't have said it better myself. Roger, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us on the Cardinal Call podcast. I appreciate the wisdom, the nuggets, uh, you know, 
I think I learned more at the first 10 minutes of this podcast that kind of segue all the way the rest of the way through. You did a great job of, of laying a great foundation with some great nuggets and takeaways. Uh, Dr. McCart. Well, yes, there was. There was a lot to learn there. I mean, I have a, a list here. We I didn't run out of ink this episode, but I, it's, it's going to happen one of these times. I know Dr. Owens, but uh, yeah, Roger, thank you for your time here. And you're, uh, you're, you're even nicer on a podcast than you are in person, believe it or not. So and that's, that's saying a lot. So we're yeah, just glad to have you here. And I think, uh, you know, they they talk about having goals and accountability buddies. And I think you'd be a good one because you're uh, you're continually learning. You're continually putting. I mean, every time I see your signature, I feel like you've got a new in your email. You've learned a new skill or a new badge or something there. So well, I, have to, I have to be careful of not putting too much there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Dr. Owens has me. Uh, we, we've got our podcast and our signatures, and it uh, it kind of bogs down my emails sometimes because there's so, <laughs> we got so much going on. So if I keep hanging around with you all, I think. Uh, it's you know things are going to work out so thank you yes. very much and we, we appreciate you being here and all that you shared with us and, and the listeners well it's definitely been my pleasure and i appreciate you making getting me this offer no problem thanks roger have a great day dr mccart what more can be said in this last hour of picking the brain of roger buskin well, you know, there was uh, one thing we didn't quite get to. He, he hinted on it in a number of his answers and responses there. But when I had the opportunity at that career fair to talk with him and, um, you know, kind of he just was reflecting a little bit on some, it was similar to this interview, really. But something they talked about was uh, a life of service. And some of his best times, some of his fondest memories were looking back on, uh, I think it was Boy Scouts that he was with his sons, but it was some family uh role of service where he was camping with his sons and a bunch of other boys and i think it was camping or little league or something but just uh, those memories that he had and um you know i think that for a mid-career person for me he mentioned that he's uh mm-hmm. working out of joy um, i've heard that called a uh, instead of retirement it's prefer preferment is that, is that <laughs> yeah. the term we heard Preferment, yes, that is the preferment. Term. Yeah, yeah. So you get to do what you prefer, and as someone who's uh, a little more mid mid level career doing things, because there's there's grocery bills and there's this crying baby in the next room, and all. It's it's good to think about how to build a life to look back on it and to be proud and to have done things that you enjoyed and things that you would do again. And I think that's what I learned from Professor Buskill. In addition to a lot of uh, technical skills, also, I mean, he's. Uh, very current on the virtual teams, the technology, the micro credentials that we mentioned, and just ways to yep. help leaders learn. So that's, I don't want to rehash everything, Dr. Owens, but those are some of my highlights. Yeah, same here. I mean, when 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 it was innovate or evaporate or just do the right things right. I mean, I think that's really, you know, we can do a hundred podcasts, let's be perfectly honest. And when it comes to just saying, do the right things right, when it comes to leadership and learning, and no matter what your subject matter expertise is, I mean, that sums it up, right? Like this Faculty First Friday, First Faculty Friday uh, guest with Roger, I mean, that's it right there. If you just go and do the right things right, 
like take the time and learn the skill or learn the whatever and, and, and get and, and, and earn the respect and trust of the, the people that you have to work with just doing the right things right i mean everything else will fall into play as crazy as that sounds and as simple as that sounds that's that's really the premise of pretty much you know every book every article every assignment every um every, anything i can think of if you just take the time to do the right things right you probably will get to where you want to go well, and that's that's uh, at the heart of a twelve billion dollar self help and personal development, professional development. <laughs> you know, it's turns out uh, Grandma's advice was right and uh, doing the right things there. And 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 Roger talked about showing up. I've got that yes. circle real big here on my notes, and mm-hmm. got to remember that. And that means I think more than just uh, having your camera on or having your uh, your behind in the seat. It's it's showing up mentally, physically intellectually, emotionally, just being there, being available for the people on your team and um, not just going through the motions, but how can I make an impact and a difference in the people that I get an opportunity to be with today? And um, well, I don't know, I'm going to have to let some of this soak in and simmer, just like that uh, pineapple upside down cake in a, <laughs> in a cast iron crock pot. Hey. Let this conversation simmer. There's going to be a lot to learn as I continue to think about it. No doubt. No doubt. So listeners, thank you for joining us today. You can check out our podcast and all of our other pods. You can check them out at uofl.me backslash leadership dash POD. Again, that's uofl.me backslash leadership dash POD. And as Professor Buskell put out there, listen, if you are ready to learn to lead with compassion and expertise, you can save time and money by enrolling in UofL's Bachelor in Organizational Leadership and Learning. The degree's unique prior learning assessment course, which Professor Buskell talked about, awards you tuition-free college credit for your work experience and can save you up to $24,000. Learn more about the value and other amazing benefits of the BSOLL degree at uofl.me backslash BSOLL dash podcast. Again, that's uofl.me backslash BSOLL dash podcast. Well, listen, listeners and viewers, as we say around here, you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples in a seed. When you teach, you never know how many lives you will influence. So Cardinal Nation, you know what to do. Keep leading, keep learning, keep influencing, and we hope to see you soon. But until then, don't forget to like, subscribe, and download anything connected to the podcast, whether it be on Apple, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube, so you can stay connected about any information uh, that is related to the BSOLL program here at the University of Louisville, as well as the Cardinal Call podcast. So until then, take care. That's right. And stay safe.